Welcome to the Coloring Chaos Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. My name is Jonah Fair, and I'm coming to you from Macomb, Michigan. Recently, my pastor, Scott Blanchard, at my local church gave a message speaking upon one of the names of Jesus that is found in the scripture. No matter where today finds you, I pray that this episode will meet you in a real and relevant way, and that regardless of the difficulty, the challenging situations that you are going through, the hardships, the pain, our God is able and faithful to complete the good work that he has begun within us. Heavy heart, you are loved. You are loved. And our God is able. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah gave a prophecy of the coming Messiah and used four names to describe Jesus. And the first that we oftentimes see at Christmas. And so in this series, we're going to, in this message series, we're going to look at four of the names of Jesus in this verse, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. The Bible said, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Uh, today, I want to look at the prophetic title of Jesus that he would be called the Wonderful Counselor. These two English words come from two Hebrew words, and if you see the words on the screen, it's the word Pele Yawet. Pele Yawet. And that's the Hebrew words for Wonderful Counselor. Let me break it down if you see on your handout note, the word Pele. This is what it means. It means beyond understanding. It means too wonderful for words. It's more awesomer than the word awesome. In other words, when Isaiah was trying to describe the future Messiah, the savior of the world, he didn't have the words to describe him. In fact, he used a word that says, there are no words great enough to tell you how awesome he is. He is too wonderful for words. Pele, Pele. And then the second word, Yawet, is translated as the word counselor. And it means, it's important, one who advises, instructs, one who guides, and here's the key, from a position of authority from a position of authority. What you think, King Solomon, the word Jawet was used to describe Solomon. People brought their problems to Solomon and he had the wisdom to know the solution and he had the power to mandate the solution. I, want, I don't want you to think of counselor like a friend who you call late at night and say, hey man, I'm having a hard time. And, and, they, and they talk to you and, and the guy says, oh yeah, I, I hear you. Hey, listen man, I got your back. I'm here for you. I'm, I'm here for you all the way. That's not the counselor that we're talking about. We're talking about someone that you can bring your worst problem to and he shows you the way out. He knows what he's talking about. That is Pelet, Yahweh. And one day, Isaiah says, 
a son will be born, a child will be given to you, and his name will be Pella Yahweh. He will be the wonderful counselor. He is God in the flesh. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And he knows you, he cares for you, and understand exactly what you and I are going through. Therefore, he can be your wonderful counselor. I love the way it's described, it's described in Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. Now speaking of Jesus, our high priest, our savior, our wonderful counselor, we see here in verse 15, for we do not have a high priest. By the way, a high priest is like a counselor who represents us to God, right? And so we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. In other words, here's what's happening. Jesus it was not just a sovereign king who rules over us, but he's a brother who lived among us, who's walked through everything we've walked through. The Bible says that Jesus, he understands our pain. He understands our hurt. And there's nothing you experience that he has not experienced. He's experienced it all. And when you walk through that Christmas story, when you walk through it, one of the things you'll see is that Jesus was born into the worst kind of poverty. I mean, you've already got the Israelites. They were already poor and oppressed. They were under the Roman Empire rule. Right? And so they were, they were just kind of an outpost of the Roman Empire. And they were poor. They didn't have much. Mary and Joseph were poorer than poor. They were so poor. And several things that we would think that, number one, you know, Jesus was born in a stable, which means that Joseph, the stepdad, right? Joseph lacked the money to get a reservation at a local hotel for his pregnant wife. And instead, you know, if you look at the manger scene, you know, and, and it looked so precious, right? A manger scene, wherever it might be, and it looked so quaint. But it's hard to glamorize it's really hard to glamorize the actual scene. No woman that I know wants to give birth outside in the cold in a barn around cows and animals. And I promise you this, it did not smell like cinnamon and nutmeg. <laughs> so if you really want to be authentic with your nativity, I suggest maybe get some dog poo kind of smeared all over your little nativity scene. And there you go. You, you get closer, closer to what it actually looks like. Here's a second clue about how, why we think that they were so poor. Is that when Jesus was dedicated at the temple, you know, the, 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 the Levitical laws were that you were to present a lamb. But if you didn't have enough money to get a lamb, you get a dove or a pigeon. And when they dedicated Jesus to the temple, at the temple, the parent presented a pigeon. A pigeon for Jesus. Get this. Jesus' family was so poor that they couldn't provide, 
they couldn't provide the provision of the sacrifice that Jesus himself gave to Israelite centuries and centuries before. So they were oppressed. They lived, they lived day to day just to survive. And so we need to understand this, that at his birth, Jesus was laying down a pattern that we would see repeated over and over and over again throughout his life. You see, at, he was born in a manger, right? He died on a cross. At his birth, the innkeeper says, there's no room. At his death, the crowd cried out, release Barabbas instead. At his birth, Jesus was wrapped in rags. At his death, he'll be stripped naked in shame. At his birth, he's ignored by the world. In his death, Jesus is rejected by his own father. Why? He was bearing the rejection and the poverty that you and I deserved. I have to take my problem, therefore, to Jesus with confidence because he could empathize. He understands. He's he been where we've been, if not worse. Notice what Isaiah said in chapter 53. In verse number four, Isaiah said, surely he took up our pain and, and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, and he was pierced, he was wounded, right, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the sin, the iniquity of, iniquity of us all. See, when I come to Jesus, I don't get the poverty and the judgment that I deserved because it was poured out on him. See, James, he talked about this a little bit. He talked about what it looks like when it comes to praying for wisdom because you need wisdom to get out of a problem, right? And so James said in chapter one, verse number five, if any of us lack wisdom, you should ask God. Oftentimes we don't ask God. We go to God last. But he said, you should ask him. You should go to him. Who gives generously to all without finding fault. The Bible said that it will be given to you. And here's my favorite part of this verse. Without finding fault. And in some translations, we see without reproach. It means without judgment, without condemnation. You see, a lot of times when I need wisdom, a lot of times when I need wisdom, it's because I've gotten myself into a situation where I need wisdom through my own stupidity and sinfulness. And sometimes when I pray to God, I just, sometimes I assume God has said, oh, really, Scott? Really? Now, now you want to talk to me about this? Hey, angels, look, it blanched again. <laughs> hey, you know, and he now got the audacity to ask me how to get out of his mess. He's asking me for wisdom. I mean, he should sleep in his bed that he made. But God doesn't do that. 
He does us. He gives us wisdom without finding fault, without judging, without criticizing. Even when I put myself in that bad, stupid, sinful predicament in the first place. And why? Because Jesus has borne, he took on all my condemnation. You see, when my marriage is messed up, when you cause pain in the children's lives, or when you mess up things at work, if I just go to God and say, God, give me wisdom for what I need to do next. The Bible says you will give it. He'll give it. You see, the wisdom, listen, the wisdom that I'm asking for, it's not the wisdom I deserved. But it's the wisdom that's been bought and purchased by Jesus on the cross. So I go to him for wisdom. And Jesus has experienced it all on your behalf. The Bible says in verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 4, he said, we should approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Some of you right now, if you were honest, you would say, Scott, I'm in a significant time of need right now. I'm in a significant time of need. And, that, and the good news is this. The good news is that there is one who is here to help. Here to play Yahweh, the wonderful counselor. And this is what I love about this name, the wonderful counselor. It means that Jesus, he came for people with problems. In fact, and, and this, this might be the deepest thing you hear all morning. All right, so just hang on, hang on to your hat. It's about to get wild around here, okay? Every miracle, every miracle that Jesus did, and here, here you go, ready? It started with a problem. Boom, right? Yeah, it started with a problem. Every single one. There's that one miracle in the Bible that Jesus just did for tricks. Can you imagine tricks just for the fun of it? He didn't go around and say, hey, guys, you know, for my next trip to prove that I'm the Messiah, I'm going to elevate. He didn't do that. Every miracle that he did was associated with a problem. His miracle engaged the hunger, the poverty, the sickness, disease, the brokenness, even death. And the good news this morning is that if you have a problem, then you are a candidate for a miracle. You are a candidate for a miracle if you have problems this morning. Now, listen, on the flip side of the coin, thoughts are true. If you came to church this morning with no problem, guess what? No miracle for you. <laughs> All right, got problem, miracles. Got no problem, no miracles. So it kind of worked that way. I promise you, all of us, we have some type of problem that we can present to Jesus. And with the problem, Jesus wants to help. He's the wonderful counselor. He came for people with problems. He didn't come for the healthy. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for the sick. 
He came for the unrighteous. And so this morning, if you've got a problem, and you need some healing in your soul, I want to talk about three principles for the next few minutes, three principles on how to find healing with the wonderful counselor. And all three is very important. And so number one, if you're taking notes, you and I have to be brutally, brutally honest with the counselor. Got to be honest. Super, super honest. And you see, every counselor will tell you that until you are completely honest about your problems, you can't really get help with them. There's a tendency in all of us, right? There's a tendency to keep the real truth about our problem concealed. For some reason, maybe it's because there's some shame in admitting them. You know, you don't want to acknowledge the full extent of your problems. We live in denial. We make excuses for our actions. And until you're fully open and honest about the problem, uh, you, can't, you can't get help. And, and here's why that's true. Being helped by Jesus, it's not like taking your dirty car to a car wash, throwing your keys to some kid and say, hey, I'll be back in 30 minutes to get it all clean. And you come back and it's all clean and you move on. No, it's more than that. See, when God changes your life, you have to be very active in the details. And if you're not honest about the details, you can't really get a fix. Sometimes we show up on Sunday morning and say, I'm just looking for a quick fix. We come to church that way sometimes. I'm looking for a quick fix in my life. I'm going to take a little Jesus Messiah pill to get me through the next seven days. And I'll be okay. But I'm presenting to you, it's more than that. It's more than just what happened on Sunday. You've got to ask God, to God, I need to be changed from the inside out. And I need to process all week long. God changes your life. When God changes your life, you have to be active. You've got to be honest about the details. Otherwise, you can't fix it. And for some of you right now, you may be honest for the very first time in a long time. You need to be honest. There may be some of you, you're honest with Jesus today in almost a, in a scary sort of way where you might say, Jesus, you know, I, I, I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure that you're good. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And I prayed for this situation. I prayed for this circumstances to happen and, and nothing has happened. I'm not even sure that you're here. I'm not sure that you're listening. God, my faith is a little rattled. And you're just being honest. When you go to the wonderful counselor, he'd want you to be honest with him. Some of you might need to be brutally honest about your marriage. You might say, God, listen, if you don't do something in my marriage, you know, a big problem's gonna happen. We're gonna be in big trouble. Some, it's time to be honest. Some of you might say, you know, I've gotta come clean. I've gotta be open about the secret sins of my life, the thing that, that I've been trying to keep hidden, it's getting bigger and bigger, and I, it, it become bigger than me. I'm hooked, I'm addicted to whatever. I just need to be honest. I need to quit living in denial. Quit making excuses. I need to be honest. 
Some of you may need to be honest about the relationship. You might say, God, relationally, relationally, I cannot have an intimacy with anyone because of a hurt in the past. I don't trust nobody. God, I'm just being honest. God, help me to get past my past. We've got to be brutally honest with the Palais Yahweh, the wonderful counselor. You've got to cast your cares, cast your troubles on him. The Bible said in Psalm 55 or 22, the Bible said to cast your cares, to cast your troubles, to cast it all to him on the Lord, and he will sustain you. Again, without finding fault. You can throw something so big at God, he's going to take it all, and he'll hold you up. There's not a problem that God will not take. He take it off. There's not a problem that when you tell God, when you're brutally honest with God, there's not a problem where God says, oh, man, really? Oh, man, I'm shocked. There's not one sin in your life that shocked God. So you got to be brutally honest. That's number one. You've got to learn to be honest with God. Lord, I, I, I need your help. Number two, the second thought, when it comes to the wonderful counselor, is that we have to want to be healed. We have to want it. It's easy to say what we want. We have to really want it from the inside out. John chapter 5, Jesus comes up on a lame man, and, um, and this man's been paralyzed for 38 years. And Jesus came up to him, and personally, I just, I think it was one of the most oddest questions that Jesus could ask. You asked the guy, hey man, do you want to be healed? Of course you want to be healed, right? I mean, how bizarre of a question. In fact, it's a question that many scholars and commentators can't wrap their head around. So man, why would Jesus ask the question, do you want to be healed? You know? Do you want to be healed? Of course you want to be healed. And I'm puzzled by it. But here's what Jesus, as I think about it more and more and more, here's what Jesus was getting at. While many people want to experience the benefits of healing, they don't want to go through the painful choices that must accompany healing. In other words, we want God to clean up the mess in our lives without dealing with the choices and patterns that got us into that mess the first place. We have mixed feelings about the changes that we are asking God to make in our lives. In other words, we like the concept of change, but not really sure that we want to do the hard work of change. I love Augustine, what he said in his confession. Augustine was the early church father. He described himself as praying, God, make me pure, just not yet. <laughs> Do you really want God to change your life? Do you really want it? Are you willing to deal with the things that Jesus tells you that you must deal with? Jesus said, I can heal you, but do you really want it? And so we have to be brutally honest with the counselor. We have to really desire to be changed. We really need to want it. And number three, 
We must do what the counselor tells you to do. We must do it. And as you read, as you read the Gospels, uh, one of the things that stands out is how often Jesus asked people to do crazy things. But think about it. Let's think about one of my favorite stories. It's the blind man that wants to get healed. And Jesus, he spits in the ground and makes mud pies, like a third grader, okay? He makes these little mud pies, and they take the mud, put it on the guy's eyes, and then he tells him to walk across town to the pool of Shalom and to wash it. Wash it out and you will be healed. I mean, Jesus could have easily just said, hey, open your eyes, right? Jesus could have easily just snapped a finger, just blowing his face, you know, whatever. There was an easier way to do it, but Jesus made him do all this extra stuff with mud in his eyes. I love the story of Peter. Peter's in a financial bind. He goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I need, I need some money to pay a bill, I need to pay something off, and, 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 and instead of pulling the money out of a hat, he tells Peter to go to the lake, catch a, net, uh, catch a fish, you know, catch a hook in the lake, and the first fish you catch, open the mouth, and the coin will be in that fish's mouth. And of course, you know, Peter went and did that, but it would have been a whole lot easier for Jesus to say, here, I got, I got the coin magically out of my pocket. Could have done that. And there's only one explanation why I think Jesus asked them to do all these crazy things. You ready for this? Jesus is demonstrating that sometimes obedience doesn't make sense. He's demonstrating that obedience doesn't always make sense to us. I want you to let that sink in for just a minute. He tells you, God tells you to extend forgiveness to someone, even though they've hurt you and harmed you. And you also wonder, man, who could it have been for me? It doesn't make sense for me to forgive, but God said to forgive anyway. God tells you, you know, to end a relationship that's not right. You know, you're in a dating relationship. And you say, but God, that doesn't make sense because if I, if, if I end it, I'll be alone again. I'm scared of being alone. He tells you to give sacrificially. And he says, God, that doesn't make sense because if I do, if I obey God and do what he tells me to do, I don't know how I can afford it. I don't know how I can afford living. God tells you to make the move, but you don't because you're too comfortable where you're at. And it's in those moments that you have to decide, you have to make a decision. Do I really trust Jesus to do whatever he says? Do I trust him? And if you look back at James chapter one, verse five again, Remember this verse where God gives wisdom, promise to give wisdom when we ask it. It contains a stipulation. Look at verse number five again. It said, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Now look at what he said next. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. 
Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. And that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. In other words, here's what's happening. You've got to be ready to do what he says when you ask him for the wisdom. Otherwise, you'll never get the wisdom. If you're taking notes, in order to get help from the wonderful counselor, you have to put your yes on the table before you even ask the question. You've got you to put your yes on the table before you even ask the question. Before you even go to the wonderful counselor, you already say, hey, whatever he tells me to do, I'll do it. And I know this is hard, right? Because we don't operate our lives like this anywhere else. I mean, if someone gives you a contract to sign it, you don't sign the contract and then look at the terms. You look at the terms first, and then you sign the contract. But in this area, we have to be ready to do what he says. Complete, complete surrender. Complete surrender. I've compared it to giving God a blank check. Giving God a blank check where you literally you just give him open access to your life. All of it. Oftentimes, it's hard to give God a blank check. When you give God a blank check, that's full surrender. But you know what we do as Christians? We give God gift cards. And you might give God a generous gift card, but you'd like to have control because when the gift card balance turns to zero, then you're off the hook. God said, I don't want your gift cards. I want your blank check. I want your heart. I'm the wonderful counselor. I know, I know what I'm talking about. I've been there. I've been where you've been. I promise you, I'm giving you advice. And I'm not giving you advice and you can just kind of figure it out. No, I'm giving you advice from a point of authority. Because what, the way I'm telling you, the way I'm giving it to you, it's the best way. But you have to put your yes on the table before you even ask the question. Story in the Gospel of Matthew describes a, a rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus seeking a way of salvation. And Jesus said something that just sounds so crazy to him. He, he tells the rich man, he offers him a blank check opportunity. He said, sell all your possession, get rid of it all, come and follow me. Bible said that the guy wouldn't do it, that he left sad. It was too crazy for him to do it. he walk away. Jesus wanted him to have eternal life, but he wouldn't lay it all down. He was unwilling to follow and to obey the words of the wonderful counselor. See, we have people here this morning who are very interested in Jesus. But there are certain convictions that you, you know, there are certain convictions that you won't surrender. No matter what Jesus says, there's certain areas where you won't let him touch. It's hands off, God. I'm, I'm good with everything else, but this little part of my life. 
But I don't, I don't know how to say it any more passionate than this, what I've been trying to say this morning. But if we, if we don't do what God is telling us to do, then we're a joke. If we continue to live life our way and not do what God wants to do, then we will live our life unfulfilled, unvictorious. We will continue to, to break the heart of God. We've got to do what he says. We've got to do what he tells us to do. You'll never experience the help of the wonderful counselor until you do. The only deal that Jesus makes is that he will give you all of himself, all of heaven, all of eternity, all of God for the surrender of you. And so the question is, uh, do you know the wonderful counselor? Do you know him? Hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. He is the son of God. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. The prince of peace. He is the Pele Yahweh. The most wonderful counselor. The counselor who is so great that there are not even words to describe how awesome he is. We be honest with him. Be willing to do the hard work. We gotta want it. Can't just say it. We gotta do it. We gotta follow and do whatever he says to do. At the end of the day, only he can bring light. Only he can bring light in the darkness. You see, hope has a name. His name is Jesus. God, we ask you help us today. You are the most wonderful counselor. Words that can't even describe you. There are not enough words in the, in the English or any language in this world that can fully, fully describe who you are. You're too wonderful for words. And you love us. You died for us. You've walked where we walk. And we can cast all of our cares on you. You're the wonderful counselor who guides us and instructs us from a point of authority. And you earn that point of authority when you died on a cross for our sins and when you rose again on that third day. You are the Palais Yahweh. And God, we ask you to help us. They have so many needs and so many problems. God, we need your wisdom. We need wisdom from the counselor to tell us how to live, to tell us how to get out of the mess that we put ourselves in. God, I pray that we will cast all of our problems to you and we give it to you. And knowing that God would take it, you would take all of our problems without condemnation, without judgment. 
God, I pray that we will do what you taught us to do. God, I pray we put our yes on the table before we even ask the question. Before we even approach you, God, we already come approaching you with, yes, God, here's my blank check, whatever you want. God, I know, I know that you have our best interest in mind. You have a greater purpose. God, maybe there's someone here today that doesn't know the most wonderful counselor. Maybe there's someone in this room this morning, maybe someone that's watching online that doesn't have a relationship with you. They've never asked you to come into their lives and to change from the inside out. And this morning, God, maybe there's someone that would say, today I want to do it. And no one's looking and says, God, you're talking to me. I don't know Jesus. But today I want to know him as the most wonderful counselor. I want to know him as my Lord and Savior, Emmanuel. I want to know him and bless you. The Bible said that all you have to do is to cry out to him and ask him to come in your life. You don't cry to me. You don't cry to anybody else. You're going to him directly. And he's waiting. He's waiting for you to knock on his door so that you let him in. He's waiting for you. Ball's in your court. You can ask God in the silence of your heart, right where you're sitting. You can pray a prayer that goes something like this. I call it a sinner's prayer. You're not praying it to me. God is listening in the silence of your heart. You can pray this prayer and say, Dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm messed up. God, I need your forgiveness. I need you to come to my life and be my Savior. To forgive me of all my sins, to take all my guilt, all my shame. God, I give it to you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for being the most wonderful counselor in my life. No one's looking around. He says, God, I just pray that prayer. I never did that before. But I bet Jesus to come to my life. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand up. It's just simply just raise your hand. I just want to see just you and me. Is anyone like this? God, I asked Jesus this morning to come into my life. I want to celebrate with you. Anybody like that? See one hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? I've asked you to come into my life. God, we thank you for all of us here today. God, maybe there's some Christians in this room. Maybe they're next step to give, to give you, God, the blank check of their lives. Stop giving you gift cards. To stop giving you terms. But to say to you, God, I'm all in. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Because you are the most wonderful counselor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, the problem is, is we don't always want a counselor. Sometimes we want permission. We don't always want conviction. We want someone to just soothe us and make us feel better. We don't always want holiness. We want a blessing. And we don't always want a holy father. We want an enabling friend. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. 
he chooses his name and his title. And he calls you forward today. Thank you.